In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Welcome to the beginning of Advent and to the beginning of a new church year. When the lectionary turns over, this year we begin again with the Gospel of Mark, the first and oldest gospel, written somewhere we think around 70. It is what I like to call the no-nonsense gospel, the gospel written by a Jewish follower of Jesus for other Jewish followers of Jesus. The thing about Mark is that when you read this gospel, the whole thing is more or less pretty straightforward. It's just a narrative. It's a straight account of who went where, who did what, who said what, and that's it. There's no embellishment, there's no explanation. When we get into the later, the, the later gospels, especially when we get into the latest with John, everyone wants to tell us what Jesus is thinking and what he means, and there's all of this embellishment and all of these extra words. Not so with Mark. Mark just tells you the story and expects that the story will speak for itself. Even though we begin today with a different gospel, the themes of this passage should sound pretty familiar to you based on the last several weeks where we ended with the gospel of Luke. In fact, if we look at this passage and sort of go in reverse order, the parable at the end reads an awful lot like a simpler version of the parable of the talents, which you would have heard two weeks ago. No one knows when the day will come, but it will come. And each slave, as the text says, each servant who has been given work to do will be held accountable for their work and for what they've done. And the doorkeeper is in charge of staying awake and keeping everyone alert so that when the master returns, everyone is ready. This is pretty typical Jesus, putting the servants in charge of the house while he's away, putting us in charge, hoping that we will build something good, that we will do something good with what he's given us while he's away, that we'll make something good, so that when he comes back, we can all rejoice. What's clear in this parable, and, and also in the parable of the talents, is that every single one of us has been given work to do. Each one of us given the tools we need, the gifts we need to make a difference in the household of God to help build it up, to help make it successful while the master is away. Now, success here is a little tricky. We can trace success in quite a few different ways. If we go back a couple of weeks and look at the parable of the talents, it's absolutely fiscal growth and improvement that we're talking about. But there are plenty of other places in scripture where we know that Jesus measures success quite differently by spiritual growth, by relationship, by how many people come to the table, by how many people hear the message and wanna be a part of the movement. And then there are plenty of episodes as well where it's very clear that Jesus is focused even just on one person, that even if one person, one sinner finds the light, then God is glorified and Jesus is pleased. So success has a sort of range of motion. And in order to have that, we all have work to do. Pledges to make, people to take care of, lessons to learn, justice to build, mercy to show, compassion to offer, Sunday school lessons to teach. 
We have some people pinning angel wings this morning. That's their work this morning, you name it. But we all have critical, crucial work to do. Each piece that we are given is equally as important as the piece of somebody else. And each one of us is equally responsible for looking for the signs. That's the second part of the passage, that when the fig tree starts to sprout, we know that it's almost summer. Right? Jesus likes to point these things out occasionally and use knowledge that he thinks his audience will already have. When the fig tree starts to sprout, we know that summer is near. And so when all of these things start to happen, we know that the Son of Man is near. What things, you might ask? Well, that's the scary image at the beginning of the passage. Mark's apocalyptic vision of a sun that is darkened, a moon that no longer shines, stars falling from heaven. Now, to be sure, there are people, there are Christians this morning, preaching apocalypse, saying that if you look at the violence in the Middle East, that surely we are there, at the very gates. If you look at the brokenness and sin of the world, that surely we are there, at the very gates. And my friends, that message has been preached for generations, over and over and over again, usually by people who are much more conservative and fundamentalist than I am, who are willing to preach the end times because of whatever conflict or whatever controversy troubles them most that day. Any of us who have been around for a couple of years can certainly attest to the fact that there have been many, many, many moments when people have suggested and sort of harnessed religion in order to say that the end was near. There is always someone who is willing to preach apocalypse. Always. There is always someone who is willing to take Jesus' message of love and turn it into fire and brimstone. There is always somebody who is wanting to harness the power of God in order to inspire fear and terror and try to take power to point out perceived wrongs, to blame the state of the world or natural disasters on this group or that group. Honestly, it is the easy road. That is the easy message. It is the low-hanging fruit. It is the simple approach. And it doesn't really work, right? Because here we are. The earth still continues to spin on its axis. We continue, you and I, to live our lives in both small and grand ways every day. Even though the text and everyone in Jesus' time was absolutely convinced that he would come very, very soon, the second advent of Jesus has not come yet. He isn't here yet. So, we have to contend with this apocalyptic warning from Mark. We have to look at it and take it in. We have to see it within the larger context of Scripture. But rather than preaching apocalypse, because really there are enough doom and gloomers already in the world, we are resurrection people. We are hope people. We are Jesus people. And we can take him at his word in this text. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows when that second advent of the Lord will come, not any single one of us. What we do know is what Jesus told us to do in the meantime. What we do know is what he gave us, what he showed us, what he told us to do. 
which was to be hopeful, to learn the stories, to learn the promises, and to focus on the love that we will see in a few weeks at the incarnation. What we do know is that Jesus came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. How do we know that? Because he says so many times, perhaps most famously in John 10. This is our good news and this is our hope as we wait. Now waiting is sort of a tricky thing and it's a big overarching theme in Advent. I have done a lot of waiting in my life and I suspect that you have too. Some of it little, seemingly unimportant, like the waiting you do at the deli counter, especially if you time it wrong at the village market, or the hairdresser, or in the elevator. Some waiting is very difficult. Some of it's very painful, like when we're waiting in the hospital, or at the bedside, or at the grave. Some of it is anxious and hopeful and wonderful all at the same time, like when we're waiting for a loved one to appear after a long trip, or waiting for our children. Think about the many, many, many different ways that you wait in your life. Really, even just in one day. You could go through the entire day tomorrow and just notice every single period where you are waiting for something. Waiting for a phone call, waiting for an email, waiting for the train, waiting for... We wait and wait and wait in so many different ways every day. I'm guilty usually of working while I wait, of pulling out my phone and answering emails, which means that that time I've, I usually lose it because I distract myself. But there is a better way to wait, one that is not weighted by smartphones or magazines or tasks. And that is the kind of waiting that Advent invites us to as we wait for Jesus. It's a thoughtful, intentional, joyful waiting, the kind that is more like when you're waiting for a loved one to come home or when you're waiting for a child to be born. The kind of waiting when you know, you believe in your bones, you hope that something good is about to happen and you don't wanna miss that waiting. You don't want it to pass by too quickly. There's something tangible about it that you wish you could hold and keep and it's tied to the idea that you believe God is about to do something good. We need not wait in fear for the image of an angry God who comes streaking across the skies. That is a message, I assure you, in many, many churches this morning. But we need not wait in fear for that image. Mark may have wanted apocalypse, and in part, he probably wanted to scare some of their adversaries. He's having a conversation not just with the faithful at this point. But we need not worry, and we need not be afraid. And again, we know that because Jesus says it over and over and over again in scripture. In almost every single public address, he says, do not be afraid, do not worry. Do you not know that you are of great value to the God who created you? And that too is an important piece of this season that you are of so much value. You are so precious that at the end of this season of waiting, God is going to do the most amazing thing we will be reminded again about what God is willing to do for you, what God is willing to give up, what God is willing to put down, what God is willing to do, wants to do, 
to secure you, to save you, to have you. This isn't an apocalypse that we're waiting for. It's the kingdom. And to God's people who have been given work to do while Jesus is gone, to us who are trying to live faithfully each day, to do our part, to to do the work we've been given to do, to use the gifts we've been entrusted with in order to build up the kingdom, to show kindness and mercy to our neighbors, to love in big and small ways every day. To us, this kingdom coming is good news. And so this is what we hold, and this is what we preach, and this is what we are called to share and to offer to the world around us, because it is no doubt that this world is weary and broken. It is no doubt that we live in a frightening and a heart-wrenching time when children are held hostage and violence is pervasive and guns turn up in schools and places of worship and there are so many who are hungry and cold and poor and sick and always in this season we remember the ones we love and see no longer. So there is no doubt that we all carry these worries and these woes and these pains. And surely ours is a God of power and might who when Jesus returns, when that second advent appears, surely we won't be able to miss it. Jesus tells us there will be signs in creation that you're not gonna stand around and wonder and say, oh wait, is that him? Is that, is that right now? Is that what's happening right now? Okay, okay oh, great, thanks, got it. It will be dramatic and obvious and impossible to miss. But if we believe in him, if you believe in him, if you have tried to do the work that you've been given to do, if you have tried to shine your light in your little corner of life, in your little corner of the world, if you have offered help and food and love and a, a helping hand, if you have welcomed the stranger, if you have grieved the dead, then this is a good thing. There is hope and life, and there is good news in the advent. There is good news shining through the cracks of that image that Mark gives us this morning. The challenge for us in this season is to not get lost in the waiting. Don't get distracted by all of the things that you can't personally fix. Pay attention instead to the things that you can do to the work that you have been given to do that no one else can do because it's just yours. Look to the gifts that God has given you and invest them in the building of the kingdom, in the balancing of the scales, in the sharing of compassion. As our Jewish siblings often say, it isn't your job to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Meaning you don't have to fix everything. None of us can. But we do have to do our part, our work. And if you can, try in this season to wait anxiously, expectantly, giving thanks for the promise that Jesus will someday come and write all of these things that we cannot necessarily fix today. Wait knowing that God is about to do something good. Certainly at Christmas, 
but also in your life and in the life of those you love. Wait in this season knowing that God is about to do something good. Amen.